This is Lindy Kaiser. Welcome to the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, where we give you all the news you need to know about security clearance policy, clearance careers, and the defense industry. Uh, today, Christopher Burgess is joining us. Christopher is the president, CEO, and co-founder of Prevendra, an online security consulting firm. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. It's my pleasure, and thank you for having me on today. So the last time we spoke about the OPM breach was several months ago. But it seems security clearance topics are very much in the news still. The latest announcement being speculation on the creation of a new agency to handle the background investigation process. So taking that out of the hands of OPM and into the hands of newly created agency or even giving it to another agency. Many are saying about time OPM really is into security agency to begin with. Others are saying, you know, we're just transferring a problem onto another agency. Do you have any thoughts about the pros and cons of moving background investigations? And if so, who should perhaps take those? Funny you should ask. I do. <laughs> uh, those who are making the case to move the non-intelligence community clearance process out of OPM are pointing to the consistent lack of security acumen and attention to prior events that have plagued OPM. OPM has had a series of breaches. Can OPM be fixed? Yes. Might it be easier to stand up a new entity and hit the start over button? Eh, I don't think so. I think it'll be easier and more economically prudent to fix OPM. Uh, there are multiple areas, however, that need addressing. The electronic questionnaire for investigation process equipped was compromised. This database needs to be scrubbed and reconstituted. The FS86s still need to be processed. Those aren't going away. The use of contractors has proved problematic as evidenced by the $30 million settlement, which uh, U.S. Investigative Services agreed as a result of the OPM discovery that USIS uh, was shortcutting the background investigation process. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done, and it would be one thing if they were delivering fewer wing nuts than ordered and inventory control caught these at the loading dock. But when you shortchange OPM in the background investigations arena, uh, there's a high probability that there's going to be a deleterious effect downstream, especially in the area of suitability. So I, you know, think NSA Snowden in this instance. You know, if, if the background checks are, are thorough, then the, the opportunities to bring in people who are uh, less suitable uh, are reduced. Will we continue to have people like Snowden? Probably. You know, people break trust for a number of reasons. But OPM needs to do their job, and I think we can correct OPM as opposed to set up yet another government agency, carve this out. It's going to be the same people under a different umbrella. And so let's just fix it where it sits. How do you go about fixing that? I mean, you briefly touched on the possibility of the insourcing, the contracts, you know, background investigation. Do you have any thoughts on a re-up of the equip system, rebuilding that? Do we trust OPM to rebuild that then? You have to. If you're going to keep it in OPM, then by default, you're trusting them to do the right thing. Uh, I, I believe that uh, they are going to get... Uh, a lot of help along the way. Uh, I think the DNI is going to become more engaged. By becoming more engaged, what that means is uh, availing resources and ensuring they're paying attention. When the oversight is only coming from congressional staff and uh, GAO audits that are aperiodic, that is not suitable, as we've seen through the multiple uh, breaches that have occurred. 
So we need to up the game a bit, and we need to invest in the infrastructure. We cannot allow our government infrastructure to continue to be the laughing stock where people say, uh, are, are you using the newest technology? No, I'm, I work for the government. I'm still in 1998. We need to make sure that the government is in 2016, just like private industry is. Yeah, you make a good point. I just had a, a friend who works for the government talk about how Government will be hands down keeping the oldest uh, issuances of Internet Explorer going. <laughs> when it comes to the opium breach impact, we're already seeing definitely three things. Rising clearance costs being passed down to agencies, and opium warned about that in the wake of the breach. An increasing backlog of ongoing investigations. So we're at you know, really high backlog in terms of reinvestigations and also new investigations. And then just fewer cleared personnel in general which somewhat relates to the insider threat task force efforts to reduce cleared personnel, but also that backlog. You can't move people through the system faster, so we're just seeing those numbers shrink. Do you think any of those actually have an impact on national security, or is this just growing pains and um, what we have to deal with trying to recover? The intelligence agencies, CIA, NSA, conduct their own background investigations and clearance processing, and they're going to be largely unaffected. The active duty military will be fine as they move to the top of the list. Uh, where it will be impactful is with the cadre of governmental contractors who require clearances. Uh, where the cost is borne in moving uh, government beans from one side of the equation to another, uh, I, I view that as a zero-sum game. It's still the Treasury's money. Uh, the agency should bear the cost of clearances. Why? Because it incentivizes the agencies to have cleared only those who absolutely have a need to know. Uh, as you may recall, Lindy, I crafted a piece a year or so ago on the number of cleared personnel sitting in positions which didn't require access. And so on the whole, I think this is a good thing. This backlog might be an artificial backlog as opposed to a real backlog. And we'll have to have to monitor it a little uh, closely. And I think the agencies that claim to be affected uh, might just have to rejigger cleared personnel and put them in positions that they use that clearance. 2016 omnibus appropriations bill included the Enhanced Personnel Security Program. It's directed agencies to screen social media sites twice every five years as a part of the continuous evaluation process. And of course, that language was pretty vague um, and directed the you know ODNI to offer guidance. Do you have any thoughts on that provision? Will it really make an impact on um, the way it's supposed to? Uh, I'm going to get a little windy here. <laughs> yeah, I got a lot of thoughts on this one. Uh, screening social media. Let's just start there. This was going to be interesting to watch. You know, which ones of the 200 plus social networks out there are, are they going to be monitoring? So on the one hand, they already have the ability to scrape the Internet for individual commentary made in a public manner on any of the social networks that already exists. DARPA actually put a contract out to do that back in 2005. So it's nothing new. Uh, I'm sorry, not 2005. It was 2011. Uh, so it's been around for four or five years, uh, this capability within government funded by DARPA to scrape. Nobody's surprised. Uh, this will be a tremendous undertaking to review each of the millions of individuals who enjoy uh, having a security clearance with the United States government. It becomes more cumbersome 
if they take the tack that the intelligence communities have taken with their counterintelligence by Jaguar, which occurred post Aldrich Ames, where uh, they went in and made mandatory the requirement to provide financial disclosures so that individuals laid bare for uh, their family's physical well-being uh, so that counterintelligence financial analysts could go there in there and review if you were living within your means. And uh, a great number of people were, were are probably being referred for deeper review because, you know, they picked the right stock or they inherited something they or they they for any number of reasons. If it appears you're living outside your means, you're going to be reviewed. I don't have a problem with that. But are you going to use that same methodology for social networks? On the one hand, we require individuals to turn over their credentials for social networks. We should expect to see it move very quickly to the courts if that's what's required. And indeed, private industry and some local and state governments have tried this to require applicants to provide their Facebook uh, login credentials, et cetera, and the courts have shut them down. So while I'm not a fan of this tack, to answer your question correctly, they will need to get into individuals' private accounts. And the only way to do that is through the voluntary provision of credentials so that the investigator or analyst can go in and look at 100% of your postings, not just your public postings. Now, with 200 plus social networks available and data being posted in text, image, audio, video formats, this is going to be turned into one colossal, significant government big data analytic effort. And with my knowledge of big data analytic capabilities, it, it can be done, but the level of effort will not be insignificant. So what does a social media check look like? You know, the language that's included in the omnibus is probably intentionally vague. They're saying, hey, DNI, you figure this out. So you're saying to do it correctly, you would actually need to, you have to require security peer personnel to give up their credentials because a public check you know, of, of what's publicly available isn't going to do the job. Not at all. You, you'll catch the idiots, <laughs> but you won't catch the smart folks. Uh, you won't catch the folks that are demonstrating poor judgment in private in using the social networks. You won't be able to go back and review the private chat logs between cleared personnel and foreign nationals that haven't been reported. What you'll see and where you may fall into the uh, subjective, is the analyst going to be able to determine the sarcasm? To date, nobody has created that sarcasm filter. And thus, the analytic engines conducting the review of social network public feeds, there's going to be a lot of false positives in the arena of uh, discussions around appropriate or inappropriate with respect to national security. You know, if, if I go out there and I say every presidential candidate that is running for president of the United States is a bum, does that make me disloyal? No, I, I'm, I'm exercising my, my, my right to, to speak. And as a non-government employee, I get the privilege of now backing a cadent. When I was with government, I could still think they were all bums. I just couldn't go out there and politic. Uh, but the real issue with the government is that when they begin reviewing the many social networks and the content within, it'll be hinged on the manpower required. It's for this reason that the machine learning and big data analytics is going to be required in order to make this successful. If they're not willing to invest in the big data analytics 
And as you may uh, recall, I, I was the COO and CSO of a big data analytic company. Uh, it can be done, but the investment is not insignificant. So when I read that, the first thing I thought was, wow, does Uncle Sam and Dee and I have a big data problem to tackle? <laughs> Do we have the technology right now to kind of automate this and make this a, a big data Solution. A absolutely. Uh, the technology exists already within our SIGINT community, because think about it. Uh, for years, they've had to tackle this issue of collecting more information than they could process. And they had to uh, come up with solutions that uh, were able to put together disparate data sets, including those available through public records, and make sure that the the information can be collated in a manner in which it's useful to analysts. So the technologies exist. So to answer that portion of your question. You're really going to make the Snowden sympathizers mad now because we're monitoring the monitors, I guess it would appear. To some extent, they already are. I mean, you're giving up a lot of your, your data on the SF-86, but we do have a question if the younger cleared population will kind of say, okay to this third party pulling in their Facebook feeds and, and monitoring it. And I say signals intelligence just because it, it, it's a parallel. So OPM is going under this congressional bill is going to have to look at social networks. It's going to have to pull in the public records. There are a great many private entities out there conducting commercial background checks today. You know, some of these are comprehensive and others are cursory, uh, but the access to public records is there. The risk lays, uh, Lindy, is with the data aggregators. You know, in the last few months, we've heard about Experian, LexisNexis and others having been compromised or hoodwinked into providing information to uh, parties they believe to be legitimate, but in turn turned out to be illegitimate. Uh, just last week, there was a great deal of hoopla surrounding 190 million voters' records, that uh, information about registered voters that uh, was available online. And it turned out upon closer inspection, what that was was somebody had gone and they had collated all of this openly available information. And thus, in its aggregate, it became very sensitive. But as individuals, hell, there's, uh, there's a lawsuit going on in Georgia right now because Georgia sells the voter registration information and generates revenue to handle the voter registration process through that thing. And that includes all of your data that they require on your voter registration card. And you're, you're just going, Wow, is that a data breach or is that stupidity? You know, I'm not sure which, but as somebody who respects privacy and thinks a lot about privacy all the time, I find it offensive that my information is being used in that manner. Um, another area that we need to be uh, cognizant of is as the mandate to review all publicly available information meaning uh, those record stores from the DMVs, the courts, uh, the judicial systems in the state and local jurisdiction, all of that is, is easily doable. The technology allows us to just bring it all in. We don't have to have it all in the same format because the ability to handle disparate data and big data analytics already exists. So those who say, wow, uh, you know, Wisconsin is different than Minnesota, which is different than California, it doesn't matter. You know, just bring in the bits 
and uh, the advances in natural language processing, in uh, the ability to do artificial intelligence and analysis on content will will help meld all of that information. But where are we going with this? Because the background investigation portion is trying to determine suitability. So now in the medical arena, the area that's breached more than any other we have our electronic medical records. Are those two going to be included? So are you going to find out, for example, that uh, Jane Doe, a 50-something woman, is now going through menopause and is having hot flashes, and does this affect her suitability because she's been known to turn on the fan at night and create uprising in her home? You know, this is going to come out. As they update the standards and include the information we need to make sure that we focus on protecting this aggregated information. And if they use the same methodologies they use for the EKIP <laughs> and the fingerprint files, uh, I think that uh, we're going to have a lot of unhappy, cleared personnel in this world. You touch on a, a big concern that I definitely have, because I think now more than ever, you have some people that are saying, Hey, security cleared work, not worth it. You know, I can make a great salary in the private sector. So we're seeing that, you know, as far as from a clearance jobs perspective, that a lot more candidates who before saw their security clearance as a real value add to their job are now seeing it as almost a necessary evil of their job. And some of them are just saying not worth it entirely. So you do have that concern if they start these social media checks that you're going to have some personnel that are just going to say thanks, but but no thanks. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I have these conversations with people all the time about I get calls from young folks who are graduating from their master's program, want to go into the intelligence community. And when I lay it out there, if you get a government clearance, you are going to reveal everything in your life through the background investigation and it will be stored somewhere. And unfortunately, uh, 21 million folks had their information shared with another entity. That story continues to play out. So, uh, you know, it's, it, it is a great discouragement. And I'm not seeing the government providing inducements to uh, compensate for that risk that people are now taking with their personal information. I think what they're hoping for uh, is that we will become so immune through these constant inoculations of our data being abused that we will stop caring. And I hope we never do. I do see that. I mean, because you just, you can't get away from it. I mean, whether you have a, a target card or whether you register to vote in the state of Georgia, as I learned today, I mean, it seems like wherever you're putting your data, you're kind of accepting a great deal of risk and finding that, you know, the level of responsibility taken with that information is not as high as you'd like. Absolutely. Do you think the government is making it a lot easier for individuals to be falsely accused or have inaccurate information? I mean, already the Doha cases are always a hotbed of information for us at clearance jobs because we see folks who are, you know, fighting a negative security clearance determination. I'm expecting Doha to get a lot more business when they start doing these social media checks because you'll say, hey, you found out this information for me prove it, you know, ex information can be put on the internet that's not true, certainly, um, that could result in a clearance denial or revocation. Again, you have a whole legal construct 
um, to figure out. Do you have any thoughts on that at all? Let me give you a hypothetical. You're my uh, uh, clearance adjudicator. You've come in and you said, all right, Christopher, I want you to give me all of your account information. And I want you to give me your credentials. And I want you to authorize me uh, so that I can go in there and I can log in as you and review it. Now, uh, technologically, it's going to be a challenge for some areas that use two-factor authentication. Uh, and I hope all the social networks go to two-factor authentication because it will then make this almost technologically impossible uh, to do. But uh, let's just say it's a password control and you can get in as me. My account gets hacked. Who compromised my account? Was it the investigator whose machine might have been compromised? Or was it me and my machine that might be compromised? Or was it the service provider? So now we have a who struck John when my Twitter account, for example, starts pumping out all of this garbage uh, that is either salacious or totally inappropriate for the workplace. Or, you know, you just don't know what comes out once your account has been lost. And so this is going to be a huge challenge. And that that's just a hypothetical of I've given you my credentials. And now there's been a hack, but I, I've never been hacked before. So it must be the government lost it again. And so that's going to be one hullabaloo. The other side of the equation is misinterpretation of my language. And what do I mean? If uh, I use words that the adjudicator doesn't understand, are they going to go to the dictionary to look them up? There's a, a great story about uh, Claude Pepper, uh, old congressman uh, running in uh, Florida, and he lost to a gentleman who said, do you know that he engages in philately with boys? Everyone went, oh, my goodness, you know, but he was a stamp collector. Who knew it? But the fact of the matter is the person was uh, leveraging the lack of vocabulary. So are you going to be able to figure out my very dry sarcasm? And when I am sarcastic, but your machine says, wow, this is what he said. We should investigate this and, and then multiply this by five million people. <laughs> this is this is a huge issue. I don't I don't think Congress is thinking this one all the way through. If social media checks aren't necessarily the way to go, do you think as far as continuous monitoring goes, do you think they're on the right track even with that requirement? Or is the information we have in the background investigation process now adequate to determine what it should be determining? Yes and no. I will say that anything that's out, out there on social networks that is in a public domain should absolutely re be reviewed. Why? Because it allows you to get rid of the wing nuts right off the bat. And, and in that manner, you're doing yourself a service because their application may look great, but their, their, their public persona is not one you wish associated with the, the United States government. And so for, for that perspective, absolutely, because these people are, are um, self-selecting themselves out through their inappropriateness. And it can be for any number of reasons. To ask for credentials, I think, is going too far. I think Electronic Freedom Foundation, the ACLU, and a host of other folks would just line up and bury the government in lawsuits uh, requiring that. Because if I use a social network to communicate with my spouse while I'm traveling, you know, that's private. And what I say to my spouse is not what I want a background investigator to be able to review. 
I, I think we're we're going to get the pushback there. And so what's in the public domain is fair game as far as I'm concerned. Well, and that's a good different step that we've had now because right now background investigators cannot look at those, are specifically prohibited from doing any kind of a Google or social media check of a, of a candidate. That's idiocy. We, sh- we should be looking at everything in the public domain. If you're talking to the neighbors, you should be talking to the virtual neighbors, too. Well, and that's what you have now, because I just feel like the way uh, the way our society has shifted. You know, it's funny when I did my bat- first initial background investigation, you know, I was putting, you know, people that lived lived on the you know next farm over, you know, in small town <laughs> America. But we just have, you have so many people now that living in a city, you know, all the years I lived in Virginia when I was actually working for the government, I couldn't have honestly told you, if you'd, if you'd gone and asked my neighbor, I literally never met a single neighbor in my apartment complex. It's terrible because you're so busy working. You don't, you don't, you don't meet those relationships. But so an online check would have definitely been at that point in my life, a, a more authentic Check. And, and that's still uh, today. Uh, I I live in the uh, Seattle metropolitan area, but I live rural. I know every one of my neighbors because we're on a dirt road. We share the road, if you will. Um, however, if you're doing a background check on me and I've got 5,000 or 6,000 people who follow me and engage me on Twitter and I've got another 1,000 on Facebook and 2,000 on LinkedIn – which one of those do you want me to file my foreign national report on that I'm in contact with? Because I'm in contact with people all over the world now through my social networks. So they're going to have to back that off to what foreign nationals do you have a close and continuing relationship with as opposed to who have contacted you. Otherwise, you know, here, just why don't you just scrape my followers list and figure out who lives where because I haven't. These are exciting times in the security clearance community, <laughs> that's for sure. I'm I'm definitely, you know, interested to see how it all shakes up with uh with OPM and with the the language, you know, included in the omnibus about this social media. If we thought the past year was exciting, I think the next year will continue to be pretty exciting. Absolutely. This is Lindy Kaiser. Thank you again for joining us for the Security Clearance Careers Podcast. Please visit news.clearancejobs.com for more on OPM, the defense industry, and job search and career advice. Bye-bye.